So look, welcome to uh, this morning and to the next part of our uh, Nehemiah series. Um, we're actually in chapter eight and nine now. Uh, that's a little bit too much um, for me to read those two chapters, given the time that we've got. But I really encourage you to read uh, chapters eight and nine just as part of your um, daily reading of scriptures. Because, again, as we've seen already, Nehemiah is this, this great story uh, of, of rebuilding so many things. I want to draw your attention, however, to just one verse in chapter eight, uh, around which what I'm going to say kind of revolves. And that's uh, Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10. It says there, uh, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. Amen. In the story so far, um, Nehemiah has heard that the walls of Jerusalem are in disrepair and have been broken. Um, and he's been given this mission by God to go and rebuild the walls and to repair the gates. And, and he sets out to, to do that. We've seen that in the first chapters uh, of this story. Uh, and in doing so, he and the people, they, they faced into opposition. Danny was looking at that in uh, chapter seven uh, last week. Um, but where we are now in chapter eight and following on into chapter nine, there's this great coming together, this great celebration, um, because they are celebrating their success. It's a time of joy. It's a time of rejoicing. Um, and so this morning's message is about rebuilding joy. All our Nehemiah um, messages have this kind of rebuilding theme behind them. So this is all about rebuilding joy. Now, I'm sure that you have at some time heard that verse before, the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We, we write choruses about it. It's, uh, you might have a fridge magnet on your fridge with that verse on. It might be part of your, your calendar. It's such a well-known verse. Uh, if I'm honest, though, until I came to prepare this, this, this message, I hadn't really thought of where that verse came from. Uh, if I'd been challenged or pushed to give an answer, I probably would have guessed Psalms, um, and I would have guessed wrong, because it comes from Nehemiah, right here in chapter 8. But in the context of the story that we're reading, in, in the midst of the narrative, it's actually quite a strange verse to have. Um, as I said, th there's this great celebration that is, uh, is taking place. The people have come together. They've come to celebrate the, the rebuilding of the wall. Ezra, um, the priest, is reading from the word of God. Um, and yet some people are weeping. Some people are crying. Um, that in itself is, is no strange thing. The word of God can very often do that to folks. We, we can read the word of God and we can be convicted of, of our sin, convicted of our situations. So, so that in itself is, isn't a strange thing. But, but Nehemiah does, if you like, kind of halt proceedings and he kind of says, no, actually, just right now, right, right here is a time of rejoicing. Now's a time to, to recognize all the things that, have, that God has done for us. There will be a time to, to, to weep, and we'll see that in a moment. But right now is a, is a time of joy. But it's still a strange verse. What does it, what does it mean that the joy of the Lord is our strength? And why does Nehemiah say it? Why does he say it here? 
it's odd, in, in, I say, in, in the context of this narrative, because he could easily have said something different. They, they've come together to actually celebrate the completion of the rebuilding of the wall. They're, they're probably standing in front of a rebuilt wall. It would be very natural, very obvious for him to say, hey, uh, our joy is in the strength of this wall. That's what we've been rebuilding for the last few months. Uh, we can take joy in our structure that we have rebuilt. And you see, so often we, we take strength in man-made structures. We take strength in things that we have built. And that's important to note because we do that all the time. What is it? Let me ask you, I mean, what is it that you are, that you find your strength in? What is it that you find your joy in? Because, you know, joy does come from a sense of security, a sense of safety, a sense of knowing that, that everything is okay. Um, I, I was challenged by Valentina to mention the fact that we've been decorating our flat as so many people have been decorating in this time of lockdown. Um, there, there's a joy in just having that done, in having a sense of, yeah, all, all is actually okay, all is good. But what do we take our strength in? So, some might say our, our strength is in strong government. That's a, that's a theme that has been playing out certainly over the last uh, week or so, last couple of months. Some might say our strength is in our, our medical services, our social structures, our, our financial institutions all of which provide security. Some might say our strength is in our relationships and our interactions. And yet so often uh, these seemingly robust structures do not always provide security and safety. And of course, we pray for government. We pray for wise leadership. That, that's something that we're um, commanded to do in scripture. And these difficult times, we, we certainly pray uh, and thank God for, for medical professionals, frontline support, people who are working in research. But ultimately, is that what makes us strong? Is that what ultimately gives us joy? And so this verse reminds us that our strength lies in God and in rejoicing in all that he has done for us. And so Nehemiah reminds the people that the joy of the Lord is their strength. Even as they stand in front of this rebuilt wall, even, even they have this, this such a clear picture of what they can do in their own strength, they're reminded that the joy of the Lord is their strength. Now, I've explained what uh, I think Nehemiah meant by this phrase, the joy of the Lord is your strength. But, but I was equally puzzled by the, the fact that it doesn't just seem to kind of come out of the blue. Um, but Nehemiah doesn't really explain or kind of open up this phrase or develop it anymore. As I said, I, I've given you my uh, perspective on my interpretation of what I think he's saying. But as I read through chapters eight and nine, I, I came to realise why Nehemiah doesn't really need to explain verse eight in any great detail, because he's actually modelling it. That's the actual importance of reading chapters eight and chapter nine, because you actually see Nehemiah and Ezra and the people actually modeling something that shows where their strength is, that shows that they can have joy in the Lord. These two chapters, eight and nine, they show what happens when God's people come together 
and, and really rejoice in him. It's, it's a picture, actually, it, right here in the, in the midst of the Old Testament. It's a picture of a, a society uh, and, dare I say, a picture of a church that, that, that I would want to be part of. I'd like to join this community. Uh, and so I want to share just very, very briefly with you five things that I see being demonstrated in chapters eight and chapters nine that show the strength and show that the joy of the Lord can be right at the heart of all that we do. First thing is that the word of God is read. The word of God is read. In verses two and three, uh, we read that Ezra read the word of God to the people. Uh, it says there, so on the first day, on the seventh month, Ezra the priest bought, uh, bought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Uh, and I want to actually draw your attention to a couple of uh, couple of things there. That, I mean, in many ways, I said that's not surprising. That's Ezra's job. He's the priest. He's going to read the word of God to the people. Um, but interestingly, I, I purposely didn't include verse one in there. Verse one says that uh, the people told Ezra to read. Wasn't that Ezra stood up and said, hey, I'm the priest. I'm bringing today's sermon. That's my job. That's what I've been told to do. Hey, no, the people said, Ezra, stand up and read the word of God to us. And notice that they, uh, they kind of didn't let him get away with any kind of short sermon. They kind of wanted him to read from the beginning of the day to, till midday. It's a bit like they said, hey, no, we don't want the 15-minute um, the abridged version. You know, read the word of God to us. Read it to us in, in all its entirety. Um, very cheekily, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, maybe that day will come one day when you guys say to us, hey, you know, uh, we're two hour, you know, 15 minutes isn't enough. We want the two-hour full version. Go for it. Don't you, don't you dare stop preaching the word of God. Yeah, I don't Maybe one day those will come. That's why I say I love this church. This is what I'd love to be um, part of. Um, I love the inclusivity here. You know, they're talking of women being included. They're talking of everybody who can understand the word. Now, now we take that for granted. But again, here is a culture where women so often aren't included in the count of those people that were there. But they're making the point that all who could understand listen to the word of God. The, the joy of the Lord is our strength when we hold on to the word of God and we read it. Secondly, the people rejoice. Again, nothing particularly surprising in and of itself, but, but this is again so key to this, this community, this people who are rediscovering the joy of God. The people rejoice. We've already looked at verse uh, six, says there was great rejoicing. Um, but verse 17, if I can just find uh, chapter eight and, and verse 17, it says there, uh, and the people of Israel rejoiced as they had not done before. There's some exciting rejoicing going on uh, in, in, this, in this story. And again, in these days, we need to hold on to worship. We need to hold on to how we rejoice. It's such a corporate thing. So, and it's so important in a time of kind of isolation and virtual meetings that, that we don't lose the ability to worship. You know, we can read the word of God. That one's actually, that one works 
over the internet as much as it works in a corporate meeting. Worship's a little bit harder and, and we've got to really hold on to and sometimes even rediscover worship. Um, a couple of years ago, I was listening to, to an amazing testimony of, uh, of, a, of a North Korean Christian woman who had been interned in a North Korean prison camp, obviously for her faith. Uh, she had eventually escaped to the South, um, but she was telling what it was like to be captive as a Christian in North Korea, in basically this concentration camp. And, uh, and how just it was impossible to, to worship. You know, that just was banned, wasn't allowed. You couldn't do that. And she says that she and a couple of other people that were Christians there, they longed for when it rained, uh, because the rain in Korea isn't this kind of gentle English rain that we have. It's this kind of heavens open, literally, and this rain came, comes hammering down. Uh, and they were interned in these kind of tin huts uh, with these tin roofs. And when the rain came down and hammered on these huts that leaked and everybody else got wet and everything took ages to dry again and everybody else was miserable, they were rejoicing because the noise of the rain on the roof drowned out everything. And they could pray together, they could sing choruses together for that 10, 15 minutes while that torrential rain came down, they could worship. In the midst of incredible hardships, they found time, they found ways to worship. We're not going through that same sort of hardship, but, but we still need to be creative in how we worship. There's a third thing. Uh, we've had the word of God is read, we've heard the people rejoice. The third one is truth is revealed. Truth is revealed. If you look in um, verse 13, uh, something quite extraordinary happens. I think we should have a slide for that if we can. Go. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, in verse 13, truth is revealed. On the second day of the month, uh, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the word of the law. They, they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. Okay, interesting verse, what's going on here? So, so anyway, the, they're kind of having this, uh, it's not just that the word of God is being read here, there, there's, there's something a little bit more that's going on here. There, there's kind of this um, impromptu Bible study, let's call it, call it a, an Old Testament um, small group leaders meeting. It's kind of that kind of equivalent. So there's Ezra, the priest, there's the Levites and, and the kind of heads of the family. And they've come together not to read the word of God, but to study it, to actually open it up, to, to, to find something in it. And as they do that, God reveals something incredible to them. I guess, you know, in, all, in the midst of all that they've been doing, they haven't actually been reading the word of God as much as they should, as much as they could. And as they have this meeting, they suddenly find, hey, this is a period where we knew we had to have this festival, this celebration. But no, the word of God says, hey, we're meant to live in booths. We're meant to kind of build little shelters that remind us of what the people, uh, the, the people of God went through under Moses and the Exodus. It's kind of a retelling of that story. Um, and it's this great discovery in scripture uh, truth that they didn't know is suddenly revealed to them as they study the word of God. I, I said earlier that I was, um, uh, I've kind of learned today or this this week where Nehemiah 8.10 actually comes from, it comes from Nehemiah, but where the joy of the Lord is your strength comes from, which as I said, honestly, I, I didn't know that before. Now there's a, there's a measure of, hey, 
that brings a measure of joy. That, that's a verse that I now know that actually now resonates with me. Well, well these guys are opening up this, this, this word and they're just, they're just finding a whole load of stuff that they didn't know before. And that's really powerful. And that's kind of really exciting. And I think, and just looking at it here in uh, 13 and 14, um, and, and it just goes on in verse 15, and they, they should proclaim and publish it to all the towns in Jerusalem. So, so they went out and they did this, and they had this great kind of, not just recognising this festival, but enacting out all the things that the Bible said they should do at this particular time. And it's as a consequence of that, that we get to verse 17, which we've looked at already, where it said, and there was great rejoicing. You see how these things all kind of sit together. They, they've studied the word of God. They found some new truth. They've applied it as great rejoicing and there's great blessing as a result of that. So the word of God is read. Uh, the, uh, the people rejoice. Truth is revealed. Number four, Number four, sins are repented of. We now do in the beginning of chapter nine. That's why I said it's important to read both chapters eight and chapter nine, to read at the beginning of chapter nine. Uh, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their place and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. As I said already, you know, back in chapter eight, when people started to weep and be confronted by the power of God in their lives, you know, they, 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 they were weeping there. Nehemiah said, no, hang on, there's a time for that. There's a time for that. Right now, it's a time for rejoicing, but a time of confessing sin will come. And in chapter nine, that time comes. And now there's a time for weeping and confessing of sins. And there's this strange truth that we find so often in scripture that weeping and joy go together. You know, when, when we carry a heavy load, when we carry a heavy burden, we're weighed down by that. That's oppressive. We don't have joy with that. And it takes courage. Sometimes it takes courage to come and, hey, confess our sins to say, hey, I, I'm not I'm not performing as I know God would want me to do. There's this in my life that I'm not proud of. There's this in my life that I need to sort out. And, and that can be hard to work through that sometimes. But at the end of that, there's joy. There's a release. There's, there's an ability to rejoice afresh, knowing that uh, those things that kind of have stood as a barrier between us and God have now been released. So sins are repented of. And then there's one more thing, the fifth thing. Um, the word of God is read. The people rejoice truth is revealed, sins are repented of, and then the last thing, again, just this picture of um, what a church should be, what a church could be, what we could and should be that brings us joy. The last thing is, uh, and again, I couldn't find out, I sort of struggled to get the R's to work with this one, but leadership roles and responsibilities are modelled. We'll definitely need a slide to, to kind of lay that one out, uh, but this one is kind of, this one is actually quite close um, to my heart. You see, when it's a kind of little um, insight into how we do these things, kind of when we get a passage to, to read, uh, or get given a passage, and, and, and yeah, I was told, uh, can't say told I'm doing Nehemiah, that doesn't sound right. When I was uh, 
uh, asked to do uh, this bit of Nehemiah. Um, there's certainly verses that jump out at you. 8.10 is certainly a verse, as I said already, that jumped out. But there's a verse here later on uh, that really struck me. I think we should have a slide for it somewhere, guys. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate that. Um, Nehemiah 8.9 is in the same area, but here we are. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God, do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listen to the word of God. So this kind of story all kind of sits together. But but Nehemiah 9, Nehemiah 8, 9, it kind of spoke to me as much as verse 10 did. I, there's this wonderful picture here, I think, of Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites standing together in unity um, modeling what good leadership is, modeling what good leadership roles and responsibilities mean. Um, you guys here, you know that, that, that one of the things that's really important to, to us as a church is plurality of leadership. We, we, we have uh, a number of elders. It isn't just Steve runs the church as a one-man band. We've got Chris and Nick who've been hosting so well uh, this morning. Uh, we've got um, Dave and, and Al. We've got uh, Justin and Alison. There's our leaders. Uh, we've still got Joe and Amy for, for a few more months yet. Uh, so sad to, to see Joe and Amy going to France, but so excited for that. Um, and until recently, we had Richard and Rachel, who, as many of you know, have, have moved to Banbury to, to plant a church. It's so important to have um, multiple people in a leadership role, but also people who are very different. Uh, again, I'm not an elder, I'm not party to eldership discussions, and, and I'm sure some interesting discussions take place because all the guys, I've, all, the, all the folks I've mentioned there, I'm sure they're very different. I'm sure they have different perspectives on things. But when they stand before us as a church, there's a unity there. And you see, I see that in this passage here with Ezra and Nehemiah. These are two very different guys, don't forget. Ezra's the priest. He's come back, or he's been back 15 years now. He's, he came back to rebuild the temple. That was his agenda. That was his priority. Nehemiah's come back to build the wall. He's the governor. He's the, he's the ruler. He's the, the one, in, if you like, in command. And I'm pretty sure between them, they had some kind of interesting discussions. Is the temple the priority? Is the wall the priority? You know, where's our focus? Where's our agenda? What comes next? Um, but before the people, they're united. Ezra, the priest, standing before the people, reading the word of God. Nehemiah, the governor, standing before the people, instructing them. It's a wonderful picture of what good leadership looks like. And it's a wonderful picture of what ultimately comes in Jesus. You see, these are two really important roles. Ezra's the priest. He's the one who speaks to God on behalf of the people. It's this kind of upward direction of communication. He offers sacrifice. He offers prayers for the people. He's the one that takes the cares and concerns of the people to God. Nehemiah is the governor, the king, if you like. He speaks to the people on behalf of God. There's this downward communication. He's the one that sets out the rules and the standards and brings God's law to the people and says, hey, this is what we do to be the people of God. And these two distinct roles, you know, Ezra's the priest is communicating upwards, Nehemiah, the governor is communicating downwards. But together, 
there's this wonderful kind of synergy, this wonderful joining of these two roles, um, two distinct roles. And, and that's what's modelled and ultimately shown in the person of Christ when he comes. Jesus, who's both a priest and a king, who speaks to God on behalf of us and brings God's word to us in that one person. So all of these things, all of these, these, these facets, all of these aspects of society and of church that we see in Nehemiah 8 and in Nehemiah 9 are part of what makes us strong as a church, as a people. It's part of what gives us a sense of security. It's, it's, it's the things that give us a sense of comfort in these difficult times. And ultimately, ultimately, and this is so important, that's what gives us a sense of joy. That's where our joy is, in this knowledge that God is with us and that we are his people. I'm, I'm just so struck that, that in times of lockdown, in times of shortening days, of things growing darker, um, the first thing that seems to go is joy. I'm sure we've all got, we're prudent, we've still got fairly full freezers and fairly full food cupboards we're not running out of food. Sometimes we can run out of joy. And that's why passages like this are so important, that we remember that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much that you are with us in the midst of the good times, in the midst of the bad times. You are a, a, an unchanging rock, one that we can cling to. And thank you, Lord, for, for the picture that we see here of, of a strong people, a people rediscovering their relationship with you, a people rediscovering what it means to be the people of God and finding their strength and their joy in you. Just pray that will be the same for us in these days and weeks ahead. Amen. Amen.